For Jamie today. In today's episode, there are stark climate warnings from the IPCC. We hear about a revolutionary artificial pancreas for type 1 diabetes patients and evidence of a dinosaur killed by the big asteroid hit. But first, it was on this day in 2019 that the first ever photo of a black hole was revealed. It was taken by the Event Horizon Telescope Collaboration in Galaxy M87, a staggering 55 million light years away. jury has reached a verdict and it is damning. This report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is a litany of broken climate promises. It is a file of shame. We are on a fast track to climate disaster. That was Antonio Guterres, UN Secretary General, on the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It's now or never, and UN scientists are warning that we have less than three years to bring down global emissions in order to avoid catastrophic temperature rise. This means cutting ties with fossil fuels. High-emitting governments and corporations are not just turning a blind eye. They are adding fuel to the flames. They are choking our planet based on their vested interests and historic investments in fossil fuels, when cheaper, renewable solutions provide green jobs, energy security and greater price stability. Climate activists are sometimes depicted as dangerous radicals. But the truly dangerous radicals are the countries that are increasing the production of fossil fuels. Investing in new fossil fuel infrastructure is moral and economic madness. Some government and business leaders are saying one thing but doing another. Simply put, they are lying. And the results will be catastrophic. The report calls for a revolution in how we produce energy and power our world. Last year, 10% of global electricity was produced by renewables. But just harnessing the power of the sun and the wind won't be enough. As part of the report's roadmap, keeping the world under a 1.5 degrees Celsius rise means emissions have to peak by 2025 and shrink by 43% by the end of this decade. This means we'll need to change how we get around, how we eat, how efficient our homes are, how we farm, how we produce the goods we buy and how we protect the natural environment. Pretty much everything needs to change, but pretty much everything we do produces carbon emissions. It's a tall order, but the report says it's possible. Here's more from Professor Jim Skeyer, co-chair of the IPCC. What needs to happen is that we need to use all the available tools we have in terms of policies, technologies, and we need to start to use them immediately. If that happens, then it is still possible, just possible, to limit warming to 1.5 degrees. But it doesn't end there. We'll also need to develop technologies to take carbon out of the atmosphere to balance out those emissions we just can't eradicate. One popular option is sucking carbon out of the air and sequestering it in rocks under the ground. But these options are expensive and they've yet to be proved at scale. 
Making these changes will cost, but they will deliver huge benefits. This is report author Professor Aline de Konink speaking with the BBC. Your life will probably get better. That is one of the key results because there are many co-benefits with these uh, these measures that, that are needed. Better air quality, better health, a more active uh, lifestyles, healthier food systems. The authors of this report are very clear. The fossil fuel era has to end and it has to end soon. The conclusion has been improved by all the governments of the world. So the big question now is will they enable the radical action that the report demands? England is spearheading the world's first nationwide test of an artificial pancreas that is potentially life-altering for people with type 1 diabetes. So type 1 diabetes is a condition where the body immune system destroys or kills the cells which produce insulin. Insulin needs to be given either through injections, through insulin pumps, throughout the whole life. There is currently no cure. That was Professor Roman Halvorka from the University of Cambridge. Alongside his team, he developed an app that, combined with a glucose monitor and an insulin pump, acts as an artificial pancreas. So the artificial pancreas comprises three things. There's a glucose sensor which will be sitting on the skin. Then we have a computer program which is receiving the data from the cell sensor every five minutes. And when it's processing data, it will then tell an insulin pump how much insulin to give, and the communications through that is wireless as well. The device is shown to be especially useful for children. Between variable insulin requirements, fussy eaters who may not finish their meals, and energetic bundles of joy with unpredictable activity patterns, management of type 1 diabetes is especially challenging for very young children. Pediatric clinical researcher Dr. Julia Ware explains. So the closed-loop um, therapy that we used in the study um, made a big difference to the children and the families on, on two different levels. One is that it improved um, glucose control in the very young children uh, compared to the sensor-augmented pump therapy that they used for the other half of the study, um, and which is currently standard therapy. Uh, and the other is that um, it really improved quality of life, both for the children and for their parents and caregivers. And that's because the closed loop system automatically adjusts insulin delivery based on what the child's glucose levels are. So if they're running high, it will give more insulin. And if they're running low, then it will give less insulin. And it does that without the parents having to do anything. So it really reduced burden for the families. Um, whilst also improving glucose control. If blood sugar levels aren't kept under control, diabetes patients can risk long-term damage to the heart, kidneys, eyes and nerves. That's why this trial is so important. If successful, it could mean that some of the 400,000 type 1 diabetics in England can live longer and healthier lives. Still to come on the Sunday 7, a real-life flubber is in the works and virtual reality therapy could be on the NHS list of treatments very soon. It's been called robot goo, flubber and even a magnetic turd. Researchers at the Chinese University of Hong Kong have created an incredible, slimy, soft-body robot that's designed to enter the human body as a medical aid. 
In our paper, we have shown a robot called a Slime Robot. So basically, it has both benefit of uh, solid and also the fluid. That's Professor Li Zhang, a mechanical engineer at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. What he's talking about is a non-Newtonian fluid, a type of material that reacts differently depending on its environment. Think about the water and cornstarch mix that your physics teacher might have shown you at school. So basically, when you touch this material very quickly, then it behaves like solid. And if you touch it gently and slowly, then behave like liquid. It's actually kind of similar, you know, for the preparation of a slime. You know, slime is a kind of toy for kids. And then that slime is mixed with magnetic particles so that it can be manipulated using external magnets. With the help of magnets, the dark metallic blob moves and squirms organically, almost as if it were alive. And the interesting thing that this material shows both, you know, extremely large deformation, you know, you can extend it. It's very much like uh, liquid. So you can actuate this material to let it go through very narrow channels. And meanwhile, you know, you can also operate it like an octopus arm. Although this research started from a place of curiosity, Lee and his fellow researchers soon saw its potential for medical applications after seeing how it could move. Scientists hope to one day deploy the slimy creation into hard-to-reach parts of the human digestive system. That way, it could help retrieve or encapsulate objects that have been accidentally swallowed. So, for example, if you have a battery in your stomach, then, you know, to avoid, you know, this kind of uh, toxic electrolyte be leaked out from the battery, you can use this slime robot to quickly swallow this battery into the slime robot. Or if you have some kind of uh, object with a very sharp edge, then perhaps you can also use this kind of slime robot to swallow, you know, those kind of sharp edge to make it less sharp. Although the slime robot doesn't seem very robotic at the moment, that element is hopefully soon to come in the form of automation and intelligence. I think the big issue is how to realize the intelligence. So that means, for instance, after you deploy this slime robot in your body, then basically, you know, by using imaging modality, uh, you can do the real-time tracking of this location of this robot. When it's reached the target, then basically the robot can make a decision by itself. That means how to swallow this object. What's the optimized way? to swallow this object with a high time efficiency. But what I'm saying here that, you know, the ultimate goal is to realize some kind of robotic control or autonomous control by using some kind of robotic arm close to your body. That's possible. I mean, the automation should be possible. Oxford scientists have successfully trialled a virtual reality experience called Game Change that could one day help people with psychosis who are scared to leave their homes. It features a virtual coach that guides users through multiple VR environments and targets psychosis patients' fears about being outside in everyday situations. A virtual coach guides the patient through the programme so the therapy can be supported by a range of staff. It takes them on virtual visits outside the home, allowing them to experience interacting with others and taking part in scenarios like ordering a coffee in a cafe, taking a bus or even grocery shopping. How are you doing? Perhaps you felt uncomfortable when the shopkeeper looked at us. But we're just more potential customers. He's seen thousands of people come and go. In trials, the technology proved beneficial even for patients who have experienced the most challenging psychological problems due to psychosis. 
it could very soon be offered as a form of therapy on the NHS, replacing the need for a real-life therapist. That was excellent. It could have been a pretty stressful experience, but you did what you had to do. Developed by a team of Oxford scientists, real people with lived experience of psychosis have helped design the VR therapy, as Dr Thomas Kabir explains. Game change has basically been shaped in every aspect by the experiences of people who have psychosis. So fundamentally, people with lived experience have been involved in every area of the study and they've been enormously influential. There is a group which has basically selected each of the different scenarios which are used in game change and indeed what people do in those environments has also been massively influenced by workshops which have been held and meetings which have been held with people with lived experience of psychosis. Dr Kabir is overwhelmed with the positive results but there is still more work to do. VR therapy is now being tested in clinical trials taking place across the country. If all goes well, we could soon see VR therapy as an option for patients across the NHS. Still to come on the Sunday 7, fossils from the day dinosaurs met their end, and science backed proof that your canine pal grieves as well. Right after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Three. 66 million years ago, an asteroid seven miles wide slammed into our planet, and life on Earth came to an end for the dinosaurs. Now, a mass dino grave has been unearthed in North Dakota, and it could contain the first evidence of creatures killed on that very day. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Look, Look at, that. at that. Look, the oh, scales are preserved. In the crumbling rock, a perfectly preserved leg provided Manchester University paleontologist Robert De Palma and his team all they needed to accurately date the fossil to that fateful day. We've got so many details with this site that tell us what happened moment by moment. It's almost like watching it play out in, in the, uh, the movies. We're able to see what happened within that first hour or so after impact. And that's the front row seat to one of the most amazing events of the Cretaceous. During the excavation, the team also discovered a rare element linking the site to the asteroid strike which happened almost 2,000 miles away in the Gulf of Mexico. Well, if you can imagine if something the size of Mount Everest smashes into the Earth at 60,000 miles per hour, it tends to do a lot of, lot of damage, and it vaporises cubic miles of, of Earth's crust. That's paleontology professor Phil Manning, who was also part of the research team. And as it's blasted into the atmosphere, it cools down rapidly into these little droplets of glass we call microspherals. These were blasted around the planet, and they landed at the Tanis site, just as a shockwave was hitting the site from the impact event. So we've got a mixture of impact ejecture as it was raining down from the heavens into this, this, this ecosystem of the Hell Creek Formation. 
and it's encapsulated in this one and a half meter thick deposit. And the top of it is got this very distinctive chemical signature of an element called iridium, which is a platinum group element. And that is what nails the actual date of this particular package of sediment. This is huge. Before this discovery, no one had ever found direct evidence of a dinosaur killed by the asteroid impact, or even one killed within a thousand years of it. We were able to identify the composition of that material. All the evidence, all of the chemical data from that study suggests strongly that we're looking at a piece of the impactor, the asteroid, that ended it for the dinosaurs. These discoveries now need to be submitted to the scientific community for scrutiny. But the teens say they've only just scratched the surface. There's much more of this hidden world to discover. Earlier this week, researchers announced they've found 42 new risk genes for Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's is a disease that affects over 600,000 people in the UK today. For most, developing the disease isn't set in stone, and it certainly isn't a natural part of getting older. Someone's risk of developing Alzheimer's is a complex mix of age, genetics, and lifestyle factors, and these often interlink. Using an approach known as genome-wide association studies, Researchers carefully analysed the genetic makeup of over 100,000 people with Alzheimer's disease. They compared this with information on 600,000 healthy people. In total, the new study identified 75 genes that were associated with an increased risk of developing Alzheimer's, with 42 of those not previously linked with the condition. Dr. Susan Kolhas is the Director of Research at Alzheimer's Research UK and explains why she thinks this study is so critical. This pivotal study has unearthed 42 new risk genes for Alzheimer's disease. Creating an extensive list of Alzheimer's disease risk genes like this is like having the edge pieces of a puzzle put together. It gives us a really good uh, starting point in which to uncover new, new targets and new potential treatments, but it doesn't give us the full picture yet. The study spotlights how complex Alzheimer's is, but it also gives us hope that research can help us uncover understanding of diseases like Alzheimer's and find treatments for it in the future. Pet owners may have long suspected this, But now, a study has found that nearly 90% of dogs that experienced a death of a companion canine in the same household showed signs of grieving. In a study led by Federica Peroni from the University of Milan, a team surveyed 426 people who had at least two dogs, one of which had died, and asked them about changes in the behaviour of the surviving pets. 86% of participants observed negative changes in their surviving dog's behavior after the other dog's death, but only where the two dogs were bonded by a particular friendly or even parental relationship. So the quality of their bond was the main factor influencing these changes. In general, animals were more attention-seeking, ate and played less, and were less active than when the other dog was still alive. The study also showed that the canine participants were also more likely to be badly affected if the owner also felt more grief, 
suggesting that they could be reacting to the owners' changed behaviour as well. We have seen that the way the owners were experiencing grief might have influenced, at least partially, their responses concerning the emotional patterns of dogs. The surviving dogs appear more fearful after the death of the conspecific, but the emotional state of the owner may have played a role in this change. The level of fear was in fact greater in surviving dogs whose owners showed more evident signs of suffering, anger and psychological trauma following the death of their pet. So does this mean that when we're gone, our dogs might mourn for us too? Given that dogs also form strong attachment bonds with their human companions, there is also the possibility that they may suffer when we die. Today, millions of families around the world live with more than one dog, so knowing the behavioral reactions and emotions aroused by the death of a dog is fundamental because it will allow us to recognize the emotional needs of many animals and many people which are actually at risk of suffering from the loss of a canine companion. And what can dog parents do to support their grieving pets the best? There are things an owner can do to alleviate their companion's dog's distress. For example, maintaining routines the dog is used to in order to ensure that predictability in daily activities which reassures dogs considerably. Staying close to their dog, share activities with them and make them feel protected. As mentioned, in our study, a surviving dog's changes in behavior were greater when they had a friendship or even parental relationship with the deceased one. Most likely, this means that the surviving dog has lost an attachment figure who provided safety and security. Therefore, making this dog that they are still supported and protected can be extremely helpful. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favor and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.